The Night Owl Podcast, Campfire Episode 12, The Rental from Hell. Welcome to The Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all your restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who've experienced them, and share them with you, right here. We're currently looking for more personal ghost stories or haunted locations, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightoutpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. Tonight's campfire takes us back 20 years to a quaint Ohio college town where Lindsay and her two roommates were scrambling to find new lodging for the semester. But when a seemingly perfect place magically comes to them, Lindsay begins to question why this place fell into their lap. There were some strange things she began to notice about the home. Her bedroom had a deadbolt lock on the inside. There was a feeling that you were never truly alone in this house. And then there was the old dank basement that had an eerie symbol painted on its stone walls. Before long, Lindsay was too scared to even leave her room, so much so that she had to have her boyfriend Adam walk her everywhere in the home, including the bathroom. There was someone or something in this old house that wanted Lindsay, and she could sense it. But sadly, she couldn't afford to move, nor could her roommates, and they were stuck in this rental from hell. Stay tuned. A huge thank you to AG1 for continuing to support our show. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash night owl. I want to give a special thanks to our newest sponsor, Microdose, for supporting our show. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code night owl to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Before we begin, I just have one short announcement. We don't have anything concrete yet, but I just want to put it in your ears that we might be having a spooky holiday event at one of our haunted locations this December. Now, it may not come to fruition, but we are trying, and I know you Night Owls have really been looking forward to one of our big events again. So keep your ears and eyes open, watch out for our newsletter, check our social media, and our Patreon page. What I'm aiming to have is a holiday spirits type event with a spooky holiday market full of vendors and readers, plus a live ghost story taping on stage, and maybe even a spooky holiday movie screening as well. Fingers crossed it can all happen mid-December, so just stay tuned. The area that comprises the current state of Ohio has a long storied history, so it doesn't surprise me that there would be a lot of paranormal reports here. The remains of ancient peoples dating back to 9000 BC have been found here, and ancient burial and ceremonial mounds can still be seen to this day. This land was initially inhabited by the Iroquois Native Americans, and eventually colonized by French fur traders in the mid-1600s. The infamous French and Indian War actually took place here in 1752. Following the American Revolution, Ohio was incorporated into the Northwest Territories of the newly founded United States, which opened up the area to Anglo settlers who were expanding westward in hopes of better opportunities for themselves and their families. With literally thousands of years of habitation, which included bloodshed, 
violence, and the desperate struggles of those trying to settle in a harsh, wild land, there's no wonder why there could be so many paranormal reports associated with this region. Which brings us to today's story. Now, it's been a while since we gathered around the campfire, so welcome, Night Owls. I'm thrilled that Lindsay from our previous series at the Williamson Museum was kind enough to share her own terrifying ghost story with us. If you haven't listened to that series I mentioned, I highly recommend you do so you can hear how Lindsay put her psychic abilities to work with us to solve some of the mysteries surrounding the hauntings at the museum in Georgetown, Texas. But now, Lindsay is joined by her husband Adam, and the two are going to take us back to 2003, to the small college town in Ohio where they had just met and began dating, but were about to go through literal hell together. So gather around the campfire with me tonight, grab a coffee or some whiskey, and be sure to get extra comfy for this spooky tale I like to call The Rental from Hell. So it'd be um, around 2003 when my two roommates and I had to look for a new place to live. And the reason being our fourth roommate was going to move out with her boyfriend. So we started looking for a um, three-bedroom place to rent. And the difficult part was, you know, when we initially started asking around in a college town, everything is a studio, a two bedroom, a four bedroom, or like big frat and sorority houses. So really quick, we started to realize like we weren't finding anything. So um, a friend of ours said, hey, there's this realtor that, you know, they can help you find somewhere to rent. And I thought, well, that's really weird, but cool. All right. Now you have to keep in mind, this is before the Internet is what it is now. So back then you couldn't just Google places to rent. We're talking flyers on walls and newspapers and things like that. So this realtor seemed like a really great option as to like, okay, maybe we can find something. And we were getting really down to the wire, myself, um, Rebecca and Amber. So we show up for this appointment and we're there for about 45 minutes, I would say, with this woman explaining to us over and over again that there are no three bedroom rentals in the city of Ohio. Um, And she tries to say, well, you guys could split up. You guys could share a bedroom or live separately. And we were like, no, that's not what we want to do. We want to try to find a three bedroom rental. And the realtor just said, well, they, they don't exist, so I can't really help you. So we were finally like, okay, well, then we're going to go. It's been like 45 minutes. Let's head out. We stand up to leave. And she says, okay, but wait a second. I might have something. And we all kind of turn around and look at her and think, well, that's weird. And she turns around to this big metal filing cabinet, opens it up, and pulls out a large manila envelope and says there is one place. And she puts it on her desk. So I remember sitting back down across from her and she slid the folder to me and Amber and Reba leaned in and I opened it up and we flipped through and here it was, a three bedroom house, this cute little white house. Um, And we were just like, why did she wait to tell us for 45 minutes? And she could tell that I think we were like, kind of not irritated, but curious. And she just said, well, the landlords tend to be really particular about who they rent to. So we thought, okay, makes sense. She said, do you want an appointment to meet the landlords? And we said, absolutely. And um, so we left there with an appointment to see the house and meet the landlords. And we were like super excited to hopefully maybe have a place to live together. So the day comes that we're showing up to um, look at this uh, house. And when we arrived, the weirdest thing was both of the landlords were there. They were about, I'd say they're mid to late 40s. And 
Now that I've rented more as uh, throughout my adult years, I understand how strange this is all going to sound. But at the time, we were just desperate to live together and we hadn't rented a lot. I mean, we were all 20 or 21, so we weren't super experienced in the rental world. So we show up, they're waiting for us on the back porch and we go in. Now, the first thing you have to keep in mind is this house was incredibly small. If you were standing in the kitchen, you could stick one arm in the dining room and one arm in the living room, and literally you would be able to be in every space. But once we got inside, these landlords were literally like, okay, we're going to stay together. So we're in this little dining room, two grown men and three, three girls standing together, hunched together and talking. And I remember at one point when I heard that there was an upstairs bedroom, I went to walk through this little living room to go upstairs. And one of the landlords literally said, whoa, 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 get back here. We'll get there in a minute. Hang on. You're not going up there alone. Oh, okay. So room by room, even in the bathroom, we basically all crammed in the bathroom and they just wouldn't let us be alone. And they kept talking. I will never forget asking me, especially a lot of really personal questions, you know, like, where did I get my name from? Or like, what did my parents do for work? Just stuff that now like landlords don't ask you. And none of this ever happens when seeing a possible property. So at one point we hear that there's a basement and being from the Midwest, you know, for that's like great. You're like great room to spare. Like this is awesome. Let's go take a look. And it was odd because the door to the basement was actually in one of the bedrooms, which is super creepy. But we were still like not a problem. We were like, well, let's go check it out. And they were really very much trying to prevent us from going in the basement. Like they were like, no, nah, no, nah, it's just an old basement. No need to see it. It's fine. And we're like, no, we're going to check this out. So me, Reba and Amber like go barreling down the stairs and the two landlords come following behind us. And we're like, whoa, this is an old basement. It had stone walls. Half of it was like dirt and gravel. Part of it was kind of, I think, paved or had concrete. And we went to go around this one side and they were really trying to stop us. And that's when we all kind of caught a quick glimpse of some sort of like graffiti. Now, before we could even really dwell in this basement, the landlords were like, okay, that's enough. Let's head upstairs, you know? So we finished looking at the house. Um, they leave, we leave. And we were kind of left with a feeling like we weren't sure if we were gonna get this house or not. Um, it was just an odd situation. And even seeing the house with these guys, it was just like, I don't know if we're gonna get this house. But we get the call, we got the house, and our whole problem was now solved. We could move in, school was coming up, and like we needed to move quick. So we started moving in. And the first thing we did upon getting in this house was like, let's go check out this basement. Now, a little bit of backstory. Amber is a non-believer in everything. So she doesn't believe in anything. Reba was raised like probably Catholic and, you know, but she's not like into this stuff, but she's aware of things. And then me, you know, I'm kind of tapped in. So, you know, you've got three very different personalities with very, three very different views on like, you know, the paranormal. And so we head down into this basement and we turn and we take one look at this graffiti and the three of us were standing there. And I just remember everyone just saying, something's wrong with this. And Amber, who doesn't even believe in this stuff, said, this is making me feel really uncomfortable. What is this? And Rebecca just said, it looks like Satan or Satanistic or something. Like, I don't know what that is. 
And what I can explain about this graffiti is I've never seen anything like it. It wasn't like some metal group went down there and they put a pentagram on the wall or, you know, some pagan went down there to do some sort of ritual. This symbol looked like it was made, I don't know, hundreds of years ago, which isn't possible, by the way, but it looked crude and it looked odd and it just really made you feel uncomfortable to even look at it. So as a group, we immediately said, well, we're done looking at this. We're never coming down here, basically. Again, everyone upstairs. And upstairs we went. Now, what's interesting is, you know, when we think about a haunting in movies and things, it tends to be like a slow progression, like little things happening over long periods of time. And eventually everybody starts to believe and they run out of the house running. And in this case, that's not how it happened. I knew this house was haunted day one immediately upon moving in. And it started for me with being watched. I could tell in every room I went into that somebody was following me and somebody was watching me. And for people that are non-believers and often ask me to explain, well, what does this feel like? I have a great example, and this is for people who don't believe. How many times in your life have you been in a grocery store at a party and you get that feeling like someone is staring at you? You just know it. You're like, someone's looking at me. And you look over your shoulder and there they are. Somebody was looking at you. Some stranger you've never met, someone you don't know. They look away awkwardly and you're like, wow, I could totally tell. That is the exact same feeling as this. The only difference is I can't see who's looking at me. So I can feel it all through the house. And one afternoon, like this is week one, mind you, I am in my bedroom and I can feel that it's in the left corner of my room watching me. And I just said, if it's there, I'm gonna go walk right up to it. And I did, I walked across the room and I'll never forget, I stuck my arm out and I straightened it and I could feel my arm go into something cold, like a giant mass. And I had never felt anything like this in my life. I immediately removed my hand and was like, oh God. And the first thing I actually thought was, now it knows that I know where it is, that I can sense it, that I can feel and tell where it's at. And I had this feeling of, oh no, now it knows. So with these cold spots and the sense of being watched, I knew that the house was haunted. And I had this sensation that it now knew that I knew that it was there. But I was kind of always raised to some degree that if it's bad, ignore it. So my parents kind of taught me when it came to these sensations and feelings, if it doesn't feel good, don't, you know, don't do anything. So I tried to ignore it. But the next thing that started to happen again, almost immediately, was my closet. When we went and saw this place for the first time, I had never had a really big closet in this room upstairs, which was my room, had this big closet. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna not even bring a dresser. Like you're in college, how much room do you need? And in my closet, I could hang all my clothes, I could fit all my shoes, I could fold all my clothes that had shelves. So on this upper part, I was like, I can just put everything in the closet and I'll just have more room in my room. This is great. So I move into my room and I go to go into the closet and it's like the sensation of walking into the cave of a bear. I just got this feeling like you're not welcome in the closet. And I thought, well, that can't be real. <laughs> I honestly thought that. So I stepped out and I immediately went to step back in. And as soon as I did, 
the same feeling get out of my space. And I thought, okay, all right, I'm going to wait a little while before I put my clothes away. So I would shut my closet door because who likes to have a dark closet just wide open all the time in our room? I think it's human nature. We just want that shut. So I would shut it at night sometimes. I would hear this sound and it sounded like somebody playing with the closet handle. Now, the first few times I remember waking up and my closet door was probably open about a quarter of the way. And I thought, old house, not a big deal. It obviously isn't like holding well and it's just moving. No need to worry about this. But then it started happening during the daytime when I was awake. I could be in my room working on homework or watching TV or sitting on my bed and I could hear the closet handle moving and then it would turn and the door would open a quarter of the way. And it was so creepy, but I was just like, you know, it's an old house. I kept trying, even though I knew, even though I knew what was going on, I still tried to ignore it. Until one day I was sitting on my bed and out of the corner of my eye, I saw it open a quarter of the way and I turned and looked at it. And as I was looking at it, it's as if someone took their hand and then as it stopped moving, It just stayed, and then someone took it and slammed it as hard as they could all the way open. And I knew immediately that that's not possible, that it wasn't gravity, that wasn't an old house. Something just wanted to show me that it could slam my door. So I then decided, well, I'm not going to let my door open or close anymore. So I actually stacked a bunch of stuff against it and made it stay open. So... Not only do I now have to sleep with a dark closet open, I still can't use my closet. So I have an empty closet. I would only put a couple things on hangers on like the edges that I felt like I could just reach my hand in. And other than that, I literally had all of my undies, socks, pants, shirts, you name it, folded and put on the floor against the wall. And I never told anybody, by the way, this is Adam, my, my husband, then boyfriend during this experience, but I never told anybody why I was doing this, but clearly in my room, it was, you know. They were all there. Laid out. And I just thought it was a weird thing. Everybody <laughs> has their weird quirks and features. I just thought it was a, it was just a Lindsay thing. To just have an empty closet and all my clothes outside. Yeah. So, and I wasn't ready to talk about or tell anybody yet, hey, the house is haunted. Because, again, like my parents had taught me, just ignore it and maybe it'll stop. So, now I have to sleep in my room with this dark closet open. And one night, I I was in bed. And I usually slept on my bed when I was alone if Adam wasn't sleeping over on the side closest to the door and my nightstand um, because I'd often read books before bed back then. So I was reading, I finished reading for the night, put the book down and turned off the light. And I rolled the opposite direction so that my back was to the closet and my bedroom door. And I heard somebody walk up to the edge of my bed. Now, up until this point, I had sensed someone standing next to my bed. I felt like someone was watching me sleep. A few times, I actually felt like somebody sat on my feet or on the edge of the bed. But I had always been able to kind of ignore it away. But on this night, when I heard this walk towards the bed and I could tell that it was standing next to the bed, I got this really overwhelming feeling of dread. And I thought, that can't be really what you heard. And as I was thinking that, I felt two knees 
drop onto my mattress, on the edge of the mattress, and actually push the mattress in, so much so that it actually shook me in my bed. And I thought, someone's in my room. And I just thought, they're not going away. Like, I could still feel the weight there, and I knew it happened. And I just thought, there's somebody standing in my room, next to my bed, leaning on my bed, and they're not moving. They're not saying anything, they're not doing anything. So I slowly rolled over, and as I did, I looked and there was nothing there. I looked at my mattress in the dark. I could clearly see a depression on the mattress, but there was nothing there. And I don't know where I got the guts, but I took my right arm out from underneath my covers. And just like I did in the corner of my room that time, I took my hand and I stuck it out. And I felt my hand go into this thick, cold sensation. And I kept moving my arm further until my hand came out the other side. So my hand was the temperature of the room. My wrist to like my elbow was the temperature of this being, whatever it was. And as soon as I could feel that and realized my arm was inside of it, I pulled my arm back and I immediately rolled over. I threw the covers over my head and I felt it lift its legs off the mattress then. And my whole bed kind of shook and I heard it walk away. And I knew that I was in trouble because it now officially knew. I think it was testing to see, does she really know me or where I am? And she does. And I just thought as I laid in my bed, I cannot believe this is happening. Now, what makes it so difficult is that when I'm living with a roommate who's a non-believer and a skeptic, it's really hard to ever talk about these sorts of situations because they just don't believe you. There were times I'd be on the couch with Amber watching TV, I remember this specifically, and a kitchen cabinet opened on its own in a way that is completely not possible. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's trying to get our attention. And my roommate Amber, who was a non-believer, instantly got up and said, ah, oh, stupid old house, and slammed it shut. And I thought, oh my God. So there was just, even when she saw stuff, she just wasn't seeing it. Because if you don't believe, I mean, it is just an old house. What else, you know, what are you going to think? But at the same time that that's happening, my roommate Rebecca, somebody I had known since high school, went and moved into her room at the bottom of the stairs. And when she moved in, she never came out. And I don't mean like I'm exaggerating. I mean like she went in and never came out. We didn't know when she ate. We didn't know when she went to the bathroom. We didn't know when she did her laundry. We were literally like, is she alive in there? To a point where we thought about calling her parents because we thought, is she hurting herself? Is she suffering from depression? Do we call the police? I mean, we didn't know what to do. And this was a friend that we spent all of our time with. We're talking cooking meals together, going to the grocery store, going to bars, you name it. We did everything together. And suddenly this friend is now in her room with the door shut, making no noise. You didn't even hear her in there. You didn't hear her TV. It was as if she evaporated. Well, there would come points where we would have to do wellness checks. And Amber, who again is a non-believer, even she recognized how strange this was. Like Amber was like, this is not like Rebecca. This is so weird. Like, why is she suddenly like this? And even though Amber didn't believe in the paranormal, Amber certainly believed that something was wrong with our friend. So we would have to do these wellness checks where we would knock on the door. And our friend who had been one of our best friends would swing open the door and be like, what do you want? And we would be like, are you okay? And they're like, you need anything? Or she'd be like, no, I'm fine, leave me alone. And we are just like, this is just so strange. And with that, the stairwell that was next to Rebecca's room was really bizarre feeling. 
I don't know how else to explain it. When you went to go up these stairs, I just had that sensation like when you were a kid in a basement and you would run up the stairs because something might grab you. Like even in the daytime, I felt on these stairs that sensation like run. And so it just made me feel odd. And it was like closed off. It didn't have a railing that opened to the living room. It was almost like a tube and it was small and tight. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to brighten it up. And I was an art student. So I figured why not hang up a bunch of like my canvases and my paintings all on the walls and um, it'll just feel better. So I did. I hung up huge canvases. Well, I come home from school and there they are at the bottom of the stairs stacked against Rebecca's door. And as soon as she heard me come home, she opened her door and was like, you need to hang your stuff up better. These all fell down the stairs. And the first thing I thought was they didn't look like they fell down the stairs. Like they weren't like all crooked and turned. They were like as if somebody took them off the walls and stacked them against her door. They were just like right against her door. And I thought that's weird. So I rehung them all, figured we're good. Next day, come home. There they are again at the bottom of the stairs. And my roommate, who's now become more and more irritated, is now really angry. So one day, Adam happened to come over. I said to him, these keep falling down. And he was kind of like, okay, I'm going to help you hang it. Clearly, you're doing something wrong. And so I think I had them and he just used them. But I had all these tacks, like clear tacks. So he put hundreds of tacks around the edges of these canvases. Okay, so we just try to like secure them as much like as humanly possible. possible. So even if like vibrations from the steps moved it a little to the right or a little to the left, if you just put like a canvas, especially some that bow a little bit over time if they get a little wet, it might move just a little bit and then fall off. But I was like, we're gonna do these straight across. Like there's no world, right? Like you just become determined. There's no world that these are gonna fall off. So there's hundreds of tacks now around these canvases, these clear tacks. And then he's like, and to prove a greater point, he got tape. And he actually taped the top parts of it to the wall. He's like, these things are going nowhere. I'm like, thank you. You're also showing off as a guy in college. You'll be like, I'm going to show this girl that I got what it takes to, to hang things. So I'm going to do a really good job. So, you know, now we've got hundreds of tacks around these canvases and literal tape holding them to the walls. And he came in the door with me this day. I don't know why or where. And I just remember Rebecca opening her door and just saying something to the effect of, look, she was so mad, look. And I don't know if you'll remember this, but I remember looking and the stairs and the bottom of the stairs it was all carpeted. There was not a single tack left in the wall. The stairs were covered in tacks. None of the tape was on the wall. The tape was just laying on the stairs and all the canvases were again stacked in front of her door. And I knew that this was absolutely physically impossible, like what we were seeing. You know, I mean, do you remember what it was? Yeah, I mean, I, my only first thought was like the only way that this could happen is if somebody literally was behind the wall. I don't know. And like somehow was able to force them all out at the same exact time um, or came by. Because like the way that these tacks were, it wasn't just like they could simply fall out. It's almost like you would have to like somehow force all of them out and the tape. And the only thing I could think of was... Either Rebecca's doing this to mess with me or this house. Which I thought was a viable thought at the time. Like yeah. something was going on with her. It might be an attention thing. And I remember us talking probably about it because she was locking herself in the room and all that. But I already knew at this point the house was haunted. And I still wasn't saying that to Adam. But I knew what I was seeing was something of a paranormal phenomenon that you just don't see this often. I mean, we're talking everywhere the tax were. And even if Reba did it, to get him all the way on the top of the stairs. I mean, some of these tacks were all the way at the top of the stairs above where the pictures were hanging. So, because the upstairs was carpeted as well. And I had to pick up tacks for days. 
So the feeling I was getting on the stairwell was the exact same feeling as to what was in my closet. It was also the same feeling as that sensation of being watched around the house. Something was following me and I could feel it everywhere I went. But when I went to go up those stairs, that sensation was just inside me, run. And I just thought those pictures, those canvases would help. And clearly whatever was in the house did not want them hung up. So I never got to hang them up. I had to take them all upstairs and put them away. And the stairwell went back to what it was. So the next thing that started happening was the TV. And this was crazy because my television was an old school, put it on the floor, you know, bubble boob tube from like the early, like late 90s probably. And when the cable guy came to hook up the cable in our house, we were only supposed to have cable on the first floor. You had to pay extra for the second floor. And he said, "Ah, I don't want to leave you out. He's like, "I'll, I'll sneak it up to your room for free. And we were like, oh, thank you so much. But he said the way that it's hooked up, you won't have access to your channels that you normally would to turn on your VCR and your DVD player, which anybody who ever owned a VHS player or DVD player back in the day with an old TV remembers there was always stations like or channels like three or four or two that were static. And you would kind of switch over to that to turn on your VCR or your DVD player. And so my TV no longer had that, and he actually helped hook everything in so that when I turned on my DVD player, it would just turn on no matter basically what channel my TV was on, so it was fine. But one night I was like in bed sleeping, and I wake up to the sound of my TV on full volume, and the TV is on static. And I remember sitting up, and the sound was so loud and so startling And I ran over to my TV and I turned it off as quick as I could because my roommate, Rebecca, who was living downstairs, who had become increasingly paranoid and angry, if she heard this, she would be so mad. It's the middle of the night. And I just thought that was so weird. How did this happen? So, you know, you just write it off as like a glitch, you know, technology is just doing something odd. Maybe it's the way the guy hooked it up. I don't know. But then it happened again and then again and it would only happen at times that that it could really scare me like when I was sleeping or about to go to sleep or you know that moment like when you're super vulnerable and you're like taking off or putting on like a shirt and your head's covered like moments like that it would go off and startle and scare me or I might be running late to class and it would happen and I'd drop all my stuff and have to pick it all up and then go turn off the TV. And, you know, it was just always scaring me. It didn't happen with consistency. The only thing that was consistent was it happened at times where I would be the most frightened. What was also weird is no one else heard this in the house. My roommate who lived below me, who swore she could hear everything and was cranky all the time, never heard my TV on full volume going off. Um, Amber never heard it either. And what was really strange is I couldn't replicate it. No matter how many times I turned my TV on or off or switched things, I couldn't get a static channel and I couldn't get my TV to turn on full volume. This TV, whenever you turned it off, actually always automatically turned to a lower volume. So I could not replicate what was happening. But I clearly started to catch a pattern and I knew that whatever was happening was happening to scare me. So at this point, I'm still not telling anybody that the house is haunted because we all wanted to live together so badly, but things are not going well. Reba's not coming out of her room or talking to us. Amber is noticing this. I'm becoming really frightened of the house. It's getting to a point where if I had to go to the bathroom or I needed a snack in the middle of the night, I would literally make Adam walk me downstairs. And I think he could tell even in me that I was scared of something. 
I come from a, I was, I was raised in a very religious household, so I come from a place where there is something else, but not necessarily raised to where there is, there is uh, ghosts and there's different spirits like that. There's just something else there, right? So there's another dimension, whatever that is. So I've always had a belief in an, and know that there was something else, but I didn't travel in a world where there were, you know, entities and demons and all these other things. But I will say that you know, when you get to a place where you have to walk your girlfriend down the stairs, wait at a corner while she then walks to the bathroom. And while she's walking to the bathroom, she's looking over her shoulder to see if you're watching her walk to the bathroom to like make sure everything's okay. I mean, it sort of like puts a, a weird vibe into you and then you start sort of like sensing something. So my feeling of the situation was clearly my girlfriend at the time is got something going on whether she's scared whether it's she's picking up on something but it's not necessarily normal that you need somebody at that age to walk you to the bathroom to walk you to go get snacks and it's also not like oh hey like will you come with me because i don't want to be without you kind of thing it was like i have to go get something from the kitchen and there is no choice you're coming with me and i was like okay so it was really nothing more than that at that point i always got a weird sense and there's a couple things that happened but at that point it was just like something's going on you know i growing up will say i've always had like abilities but i've also never really been scared of stuff the way that other people are and so moving into this house I had never been the kind of person that couldn't go to the bathroom by myself in the middle of the night or go when it was dark in the house to get food. I mean, there were times I was so scared in this house, I openly admit I would walk around sometimes with my eyes closed or with like peeking through my hands because I was so scared of what I would see. I was my biggest fear is I was going to see it because I knew it was there, whatever it was. And this was completely abnormal for me. But I still wasn't telling anybody because Reba, how could I talk to her? She's not leaving her room. Amber doesn't believe in this stuff. And my boyfriend, he is awesome, but I don't want him to break up with me because he thinks he's dating a crazy person. And he doesn't know how tapped in I can be with these things. And I'm not quite ready to say, hey, you know, I can see things other people can or sense things other people can't. So I still didn't want to openly talk about it. So it's October. It's cold out, but not cold enough to put the heaters on. And Amber was a huge pragmatic person. So she's like, we do not put the heaters on until it is cold. So we're talking extra blankets, extra layers of uh, clothing, because in Ohio, it is just super crisp and awesome then, but it does get cold at night. And Adam was sleeping over and we were in bed and I woke up to the sound of my oscillating fan turning on. And here's the weird thing about this. This fan I had accidentally broken the year before and it made a horrible clicking noise that normally these fans do not make. It would turn to one side, get stuck and go like click, click, click. And then it would turn and make its normal motion. And every time I came back, it would click, click, click. So I wake up and I hear my fan clicking. I'm thinking, the fan's on? Like it's so cold in here. And I can feel the feeling of the fan blowing across the bed, back and forth. And I can hear it going one side and then clicking. And I'm thinking, Adam turned the fan on. Is he nuts? It's so cold in here. So I wake him up. And I remember the first thing he said was, it is so cold in here. And I went, did you turn on the fan? And Adam turned on the nightlight next to my bed. And he said, no. And we looked and the fan clearly was not on. And I was like, okay. Okay. 
Like, you know what you just heard and felt. Something's happening, but don't freak out your boyfriend. Like, just deal with it. Lay there in the dark and be scared. Just don't say anything right now. So he turns off the light. We both lay back down. 20, 30 seconds, you hear my fan click on. You hear the sink clicking sound. You begin to feel it blowing across the bed back and forth. I mean, you can feel and hear the fan. So he gets up and he's like, that's it. He hops out of bed and I'll never forget, he stomps across my room to the fan and just doesn't move. He just freezes. And it feels like an eternity because I'm like, what is he doing? And he's just looking at the floor like between his feet. Well, I had assumed it was just another problem. So I was just annoyed in a sense that like, like, let's get this thing out of here. So I go up to basically unplug it to just be like, let's put a stop to this, whatever it is. And this was probably one of the first times ever in my entire life I had ever gotten like full body chills because I looked and the, it wasn't plugged in. <laughs> the fan was, it was straight up not plugged in. Like if I had, a, if we had iPhones back then in the old times, I would have taken a, a video starting at the, the wall plug to the, like it wasn't plugged in. So that was, that was a sort of full body chill moment for me. And I honestly didn't know what to do or think at that moment. And that's probably why I was frozen because you're doing like the analytics, right? You're doing like the Arkham's razor, the whatever is happening is the simplest explanation or whatever it is. (laughs) There's no simple explanation to what it is. So you're just stuck in like your own head and you don't move because you're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, what is this? first time when he turned on the light it wasn't moving yeah so that's important to say when he first that first time he turned on the light it was just not moving and i was like okay but the second time it was on and that's why i moving. went to get up to, to to turn it off and so i'm looking at the back of him and then suddenly after what seems like forever he bends down and just turns around and he's just holding the plug and is just looking at me i just knew at that moment we met eyes and we're kind of like holy shit like well it's terrifying right like there's somebody else in the room maybe short of one other time i never really had a moment like that so when you experience something like that it's hard to for people to understand you physically react you're you have fight or flight in that moment because you're like this thing isn't plugged in this electronic is on there's no way that there's you know invisible power has been discovered in the 15 minutes that we've that we've been sitting here and so you're sort of terrified and you don't really know what to do. And what was crazy, we never talked about it. I remember he got back in bed, we didn't turn the light back off, and we just kind of had this unspoken like... I think for me, I was trying to hope that it was like a dream or it was like a nightmare. It's like, okay, if I go to sleep quick enough in the morning, I can sort of like look at that file and go like, oh, it was a nightmare or dream. And then if I never ask Lindsay about it, it will always stay a nightmare or a dream. Right. But if we have a conversation and she's like, no, I remember that. You're like, oh, I'm I'm screwed. Like that actually did happen. So after that, like now, obviously he's he's in. We're still not talking about it, but there's no more questions as to why I need somebody to walk me to get snacks. And now we're going together. I became I became somebody <laughs> who needed the bathroom walk, the snack walk, whatever walk needed to happen to go downstairs. This was full like we're in like we're in prison together. And when the cell door opens, both of us have to go out. How many times, this is so crazy, would you and I, how many times would you and I walk around the house at night holding hands? 
Yeah, like we would walk to the go to the bathroom or the kitchen and hold hands. We're still not saying to each other, by the way, that the house is haunted, but we're like accompanying each other. The only other. thing we're not doing at that point is going into the bathroom with each other because it is still a newer relationship. Yeah, we weren't doing but that. But we are sort of like standing Guard. outside the door and like, and when you're the one outside the door oh, waiting, the <laughs> you're like, hurry, like, let's wrap it up because I'm out here by myself. And it, it was real. It wasn't like. You know, you can sort of have this joint, whatever it is, where you amp each other up. Like, this was a real vibe that I had never experienced before. With Adam now having a joint experience with Lindsay, it was a little more validating for her and the experiences that she'd been having. However, things weren't getting better. Lindsay now just gained a little more comfort in not being alone with these feelings and experiences. But with Adam now witness to some of this activity... The comfort that came from not being alone was quickly outweighed by the fact that what Lindsay was feeling and experiencing was real, and there was something else in this house with them. After this short break, Lindsay and Adam continued to share what progressively worsened in this terrifying home and what ultimately came of their experience. Stay tuned. Some of you may have heard the term microdosing come up in recent conversations, but if you haven't, Microdosing is the act of taking small amounts of a substance in order to feel healthier or perform better. Have you ever experienced that just right feeling where your mind and body are totally in sync and at peace? Like after a really good workout or maybe a nice hot shower? You feel relaxed, focused, and in the zone, so to speak. Well, microdosing can actually help you get into that zone and stay there longer. Microdose THC gummies were created for people who want to feel good without getting high. These great-tasting real fruit gummies are made from organic materials, are vegan-friendly, and gluten-free. These gummies can help you feel like the best you every day by providing mood enhancement, anxiety relief, boosted relaxation, less tension, and even better sleep. Microdose actually sent me some of the gummies to try for myself and I was eager to see if they could help me. You can actually give them a try yourself. Simply go to microdose.com and use code NIGHTOWL to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. I've recently been struggling with my sleep. It usually takes me forever to fall asleep at night. My brain just doesn't want to shut down for some reason. Once I finally do get to sleep, I find myself waking up every hour on the hour until eventually I just wake up at 5am feeling completely exhausted. Certainly not ready to tackle the day. So, I decided to start taking one microdose gummy before bedtime every night. And guess what? My sleep's improved tremendously. Now I'm able to wind down and relax much easier at the end of the day, and my brain finally quiets down for the night. I fall asleep faster, and just as important, I stay asleep longer. Microdose gummies have certainly helped me, and maybe they could help you as well. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code NIGHTOWL to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com code NIGHTOWL. microdose.com code NIGHTOWL for 30% off. Night Owl fans, it's already November and that means the end of the year is rapidly approaching. Winter is coming. And here in Austin, Texas, the cold and flu season is upon us as well. Every year, for as long as I can remember, this time of year would find me sneezing and coughing and generally feeling terrible, either from the cold, the flu, or the seasonal allergies that plague this part of South Texas. My sniffles and drainage would inevitably lead to ear, nose, and even respiratory infections, and ultimately doctor visits and antibiotics. 
This year, true to form, my seasonal allergies did rear up its ugly head, and before I knew it, sore throat and drainage began. What was different this year, however, is that after a couple of days, my symptoms disappeared, and I was able to avoid the costly doctor visits, the medication expenses, and the week to two weeks of being totally miserable that I used to have to go through. I personally attribute this speedy recovery to my body's improved ability to fight off the effects of these seasonal allergies. I've been drinking AG1 since the beginning of 2023, and I truly believe this foundational nutrition supplement has been key to providing my body with all the needed vitamins, minerals, probiotics, enzymes, antioxidants, and everything my body needs for gut optimization, stress management, and yes, immune support. That's why I keep AG1 as a part of my everyday routine. One scoop, once a day, every day. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash night owl. That's drinkag1.com slash night owl. Check it out. So yeah, at this point, it's pretty clear that Adam and I are scared of the house. And my roommate, Amber, is starting to notice because not only is she really good friends with me, but actually her and Adam were kind of like best friends as well. So she would just notice that like, if either one of us were home with her, like we would sit next to her on the couch, not like on the other side of the couch, like you normally would with people, you would sit directly next to her. Um, and she just started noticing that we seemed really kind of like weirded out a lot. And so she'd bring it up from time to time and we'd just be like, well, I think that there's something going on. And she's like, you guys watch way too many scary movies. You guys need to lay off the spooky stuff. Like there is nothing going on in this house. I mean, she's the one sleeping with the literal basement door in her bedroom and could care less. Right. So she's like, no, there's nothing happening here. But as that's going on, things begin to progress for me. One night I'm in the bathroom. You know, I go through my nightly routine. It was a night Adam wasn't there, which was rare, but he would go home sometimes to see his parents or maybe he had to work or just different things. And we were in a new relationship. So we weren't at the point where you're literally together every single night. So I was home by myself or without him, I should say. And I'm in the bathroom. And I remember I stepped to the bathroom door and I had my finger on the light switch to turn off the light. And I heard somebody walk behind me. And my first feeling was, who was in the bathroom with me? Like, the bathroom is not that big. And I thought, were they behind the bathroom curtain? Like, who is in here with me? And I feel them step again, and they press their chest against my back and the front of their hips against the back of me. And I can feel, it feels like a woman's body. And it's now pressing against me. And I just remember the angle I was at, I could look over my shoulder and I could actually see in the bathroom mirror, my own back, like the angle. So I turned my head really slowly, expecting to see somebody. And as I turned, there's nobody there. And so now I turn back and I'm looking in the hallway, my fingers on the switch, and I can feel somebody pressed up against me. And they exhale this huge breath against the back of my neck. So big and so heavy that my hair moves off my shoulders. And I just ran. I ran for my life. And as I'm running through this living room, I had to turn left and I had to cut around our coffee table. I can hear this thing running behind me. 
I turn into the stairwell, I go to run up the stairs, and I was so panicked and not thinking. Something I felt grabbed both of my ankles, and like you would take a doll by its feet and bang it on the table, like if you just took it and slapped it on the table. When it grabbed me, I had been running so fast and not even prepared for this, that when it grabbed my feet and pulled, I remember I just hit my face directly on the stairs. And I flipped over really fast and it was so painful, I thought I broke my nose. And I just remember sitting there thinking, oh my God, I broke my nose. And I was touching my face, feeling for blood and I couldn't feel blood, but I could taste blood like in the back of my throat and my mouth. And then I remembered why I had been running. And I thought, oh my God, something was chasing you. And something just told me, look down. And I slowly turned and looked at my legs and both of my legs were bent and I was sitting on one of the stairs and I felt something wrap around my left leg, like a little higher than my ankle, almost like it grabbed my calf. And I felt it and I watched my leg get tugged straight and I actually got pulled, boom, boom, down two stairs. And I remember just kicking my feet. The fear I had in that moment was the greatest fear of my life. I ran upstairs and I slammed my bedroom door and I locked it. And for the first time, I realized why there was the lock that there was on the back of my door. I wasn't the first person to be chased on these stairs. I wasn't the first person to feel watched or that something was out to get me. I knew it. Because on the back of my bedroom door, there had been this huge padlock type thing that you would normally see outside of a house <laughs> or on the inside of like a front door. I, I asked when you guys moved in, I'm like, what, what exactly was this place? Like... It's like in the Seinfeld episode, I think Kramer or somebody has like 94 locks on the back of their door like in New York City. That's what the door looked like, but it's a bedroom. And I, I remember absolutely questioning, like, why are there this many locks? And none of the other bedroom doors had locks like this. I think Amber had a little, like, like a slide lock, maybe. But, like, nobody had, like, a deadbolt-style lock. And on the back of my door there is this lock. And as I ran for my life and slammed that door and locked that lock for the first time, I knew exactly why it was there. Someone put it there because they were feeling and going through exactly what I was going through. And I just thought, how am I gonna tell anybody I'm being chased by something in this house that I cannot see? I'd like to say like in a movie, it happened once and that's the end of the story, but that's not what happened. It could happen twice a week. It could happen once a month. It could happen once a week. It could happen once every other week. This continued for the entire time I lived in this house. If Adam was not there and I was alone, I never knew when I would be chased. And it only picked times when it knew it could scare me. It wasn't consistent. It was awful. My sort of coming to whatever moment um, was and it's really it, the interesting thing for me to describe the house. It's like, especially leaving Lindsay's room, there was a there was a sort of like safe feeling um, that I had necessarily in Lindsay's room, but in a way that like you're in the safest house of like a haunted house that you go to at Halloween. It's still pretty bad, but like it felt the calmest or it felt like that was sort of the safest zone at the time for me. And so, but when you sort of opened the door and especially at night, didn't necessarily feel like you were stepping into another world, but it kind of felt soupy, right? So like you're stepping into like a thicker air, a sort of different space than you're in. So like, that's the weird thing that I started to kind of like feel. Now, 
What is that sort of like fear? Who knows? But it did feel different. So there was one night, I can't necessarily remember the reason why I needed to go downstairs, but I needed to go downstairs. And there were times where it became so frequent that you would need to ask the other person to go with you that at times, I don't necessarily think Lindsay ever felt this way because she had no problem asking me to go down. But I would sometimes be like, all right, dude, like, just get it together, go downstairs, like get your water, get your beer, like whatever you need to. So this was one of those times and you walk out of Lindsay's room and then there's immediately a room to the left. Absolutely no one could tell us what that little room to the left was, but it was a regular size door. And I'm telling you that it's the size of a closet, but it's not a closet. There's a window in it. And then it also has this little teeny alcove. I don't know if it's a sitting room back in the day, like who knows? But that was your first check mark to get past in terms of like the fear zone. So you sort of wanted to look forward and there was a window and you did not look left at this room because if you looked left, it got you and then you were going back in the bedroom. So I got out, I made it past that little room and then you sort of had to make a U-turn to go down the stairs. So I'm doing like my whole thing and I start walking down the stairs and I sort of like just go to turn the corner. Like at that point, you're sort of psyched out by your past situation that you're not thinking about like your future situation so I go to turn around the corner and sort of out of the corner of my eye I just see what looks to be a woman immediately you think what's the logical explanation there's girls that live in this house so it's obviously one of the roommates and okay I can't remember if I said anybody's name but I sort of just was like okay you sort of take one of those moments and you're like this isn't real this isn't happening this is definitely somebody And I sort of go to take another step and there's this sort of reveal of this woman, long black hair, all in white, who sort of like presents herself to me. And at that moment, like full fight or flight kicks in. And I sort I don't know that I went to take a step, but I sort of like leaned my body in a little bit. And then pretty much... Just imagine the like the worst, scariest, most terrifying sort of like guttural like roar came from this girl, this woman, this thing directly into like my face. And again, I know it's hard to always preface this with like, oh, I'm not the person that like believes or you have to understand like me and where I come from. I am not immediately always thinking that these things are around or I don't actually I don't even want to see any of this stuff. But the sort of sound that it made kind of shook my bones. Like, it's not just like a a scream from a horror movie. It was like primal. So I did pretty much what anybody would do in that instance. And I turned around and I probably like like an animal or a dog used both my arms and feet to run directly back up the steps, like fly into the room and then just fly onto the bed. And then I sort of let Lindsay know what was downstairs. So it had been the middle of the night and he had actually gone down to use the bathroom. Um, But I don't remember that because I was like half kind of in and out of it sleeping. I hear this pounding coming up the stairs and it immediately wakes me up because obviously I've been chased on these stairs. So when I hear the pounding, I'm terrified. Like what's coming up the stairs? My door swings open, it's Adam. I'm like, what is he doing? You, like a kid, threw the covers over your head and you were actually shaking. Like, I remember your whole body, like, like trembling like if you're cold, like outside for too long, his whole body was shaking. 
And I remember going under the covers with you and I was like, what happened? And I remember you actually kind of like motioning, like come in, like you didn't want to say it. And I remember being under the covers with you and our faces like so close together. And you're like, I saw it. Like I saw it. And you're like, I saw it. It was like a woman, but it was not because like it growled at me. It like popped out at me. Like that was when you were like, what is going on in this house? Tell me, I know you know something. And so then we talked about all of it. And it was just, it was a good moment to be like, great, I've got somebody who like believes me, but clearly I never wanted that to happen to you obviously ever um so at the same time we have all these things happening in the house um my roommate rebecca ends up moving out and when she ends up moving out we're still not speaking my best friend of all time lane who i have known since i was in high school i mean she's literally my best friend was coming back to college and and it was perfect i was like lane can move into reba's room and if anybody can make this situation better it's Lane. Lane's got great energy. She's just like, it's a great trade in this situation because Reba was not doing great and whatever. But I knew well enough because Lane has kind of abilities, kind of like me. And I told her before she moved in, I said, look, there's stuff going on in this house. Like, it's not good. And she said, eh, so what? We'll, we'll handle it together. We'll be fine. I said, okay. And I was really excited because I was like, if anybody can make the whole energy of this house shift, it's goofy Lane. So we're, we're so excited. She moves in. She goes in the room. She shuts the door. And Adam, what happens? Same exact thing. Now, I also knew Lane. That's why I even knew there was a weird change. But Lane was even more like maybe there's a world where Reba could have turned into this person where she didn't come out and she was very by herself and she had a huge like change in her personality but there was maybe a piece of that where it was like somebody who's just being more reflective they're at college they're very busy lane was definitely not that person and it was just like you just exchanged bodies i mean it was almost immediate that lane became a recluse in the same way that that reba became a recluse and that wasn't even lost on somebody like me because i had known her i had partied with her. I was friends with her. I knew who she was, but it was almost immediate that she had sort of gone into the same world that Reba went into. And it was crazy because again, this is not Lane. This is not her personality, but I can't get her to come out of the room and I can't get her to talk to me. Amber, the non-believer still in all of this is like, what is going on? What is going on in this room? Like what is happening to people in the room? Cause this is, this doesn't make any sense. This makes no sense. So it comes up again and I try with Adam, I believe, we try to start kind of telling Amber that maybe there's something going on in this house and Amber does not want to hear it. So one day Amber's home alone and she comes in the back door, goes about her business, cooks her food, whatever. She's got to get to work. She knows she's home alone. There's no cars in the driveway. Nobody's there. And she gets ready to leave. She locks the door, make sure the, like, the lights are off. It's still light out. She gets in her car and she starts her car and something tells her, look up. And she looks at the back door of the house and standing in the glass sliding door is a woman with long black hair and a white nightgown and her head's down. And Amber at first thought, what is Lindsay doing home? And then Amber remembered, wait a second, Lindsay doesn't have hair that long. Like what is going on? And she at the time told me that the 
person then lifted their head and when they lifted their head, their hair instantly parted and it looked as if someone took a piece of chalk and scraped off their entire face. They had no face. Amber floors her car, almost goes into a ravine behind our house, peels out of there, gets to work. Now I come home, you were actually with me, and the phone in our house is ringing. Like the minute I walk in the door, the phone is just ring, 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 and I grab it and it's Amber. And Amber just says, Lindsay, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And I'm like, what's going on? Are you okay? I could tell Amber was freaking out. She goes, I didn't believe you. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't believe you. There is something in our house. And I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. Like, dude, I had to call you because I'm not even working. So she is now at work, hiding out in a back room, calling because she said, I didn't want you to be a home alone with whatever is in our house. There is something in the house and I saw it. And it was crazy because Amber went in that moment from believing in nothing to the possibility of everything. It changed Amber's entire life. The biggest skeptic I knew is now completely believing in the paranormal. Her whole world's now upside down almost as equally as scary to me as seeing whatever this was, you know, coming face to face with it, was the fact that Amber was now on board. Because if she's now seeing things, if she is now fully in, then that means, like, I knew that it was real, but, like, if it's already, if it's going around and Amber is now a full believer and she's seeing things and experiencing, then this is something completely terrifying in a way that like I couldn't even imagine even having seen what I saw like that to me was that's how staggering it was for her to say the words that were coming out of her mouth the only thought that I had really ringing around in my head is totally different than the thought that's ringing in my head now I have a lot of sort of more practical solutions like I don't know completely leaving the house completely dropping everything maybe setting the entire house on fire back then you're in college you have no money you don't know where to go you have class the next day so the only thing you're sort of thinking is maybe something like an er trauma doctor would be thinking it's like solve the problem that's in front of you even though you don't know how to to solve it so all you're left with is basically fear and your friends like maybe the more we talk about this and experience this stuff it'll make us feel a little bit better but you sort of can't go anywhere. Yeah, and with that, like, you know, so at the time, again, remember, this is 2003. The internet is way different than that it is now. And I had tried reaching out to paranormal groups. I had tried reaching out to priests. I had tried reaching out to everybody because I knew in my gut, in all the experiences I've ever had, this was not a ghost. This was not a human spirit. I knew we were dealing with something demonic. I just knew it. And I reached out to all these people in all these places and not a single person got back to me, which makes no sense to me other than I remembered thinking something in the house making sure people cannot, I'm not getting their responses or they're not getting me reaching out. So at the time I thought, what, what can we do to figure something out? Ghost shows were not on TV like they are now at all yet. You know, all the shows we love to watch, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, these things were not really on TV like they are now. And so I said to Adam and Amber, listen, guys, my mom talked about this movie once. Now, mind you, I'm a huge movie lover, especially horror movies, but I had actually never seen this. And I thought it's the only thing I can think to do to maybe get some information. Let's rent the Amityville horror. It'd be like being on the Titanic as it's going down. You're like, you know what we should pop on? 
the Titanic. With Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> let's, let's watch a classic. Let's watch this so, as we're going but, down. But my thought was, I was like, listen, maybe we can get some information from this movie about like what these people did or like what happened. Because nobody will help us. They don't know what to do. And so we pop it in. I don't know. We're like 20 minutes in. And I got Amber on the left of me, Adam on the right. We're sitting on the couch. And the only way I can explain this is when activity was about to kick off in this house, you could feel an atmospheric charge to the air, like a change, like the air was becoming electrified. Like before a storm or like the air felt thick like you could actually start to feel something rising around you and so the movie is going you can feel the house changing and amber who's originally never scared of anything says i think we should shut the movie off and then adam says i think we should shut the movie off and i go okay but we're like not done and they're like yeah 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 no 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 i think we need to shut it off as they're saying that, I turn and look at the back screen door, which is like just a glass sliding door, I should say, and I can see, like hovering on the back porch, a glowing green orb. I see this orb and I think this cannot be real. And I say, are you guys seeing this? And Adam and Amber go, the green glowing, th- yeah, It. what is that? So now Amityville Horror is blaring on the TV. There's a floating green orb on the back porch, just floating. And in the distance from behind our house, you start to see this misty fog start to form on the ground. And it's just slowly moving towards the house. And it felt like it took it forever and nobody's doing anything. We're just all looking. And it slowly goes across the backyard. I remember it coming up one step, two step. It goes all the way up to the porch. It gets on the porch and it rolls towards the glass door. And I remember that when it came to the glass door, I remember that it made a sound, not a loud sound, but like a bug hitting something. Like it made an audible bunk. So when this mist hits the glass, it makes an audible sound and it starts to roll up the glass door. And as it is, it's now coming together and forming into a mass. And I just remember it's forming into a mass. There's a green light illuminating it from behind. So it's making it glow. And everyone just saying, run. And we ran out the front door. I don't think we turned off the TV. I don't think we locked the door. We ran out the front door, got in one person's car, whoever had keys, and drove and had to sleep at your apartment. Yeah. It wasn't my first time getting up and running out of that house. So to me, it was like, oh, it's a Tuesday at at the house, time to get up and just get a feeling and then just run out. So yeah, we left the house and then we all ended up going to my little studio apartment. And I remember that night, it was me, Lindsay and Amber sleeping on the most rickety pullout couch in the entire world. And there's no reason why you would ever do this as a human being, unless you were so terrified of where your actual beds are. Um, But at that moment, when these things happen, you just have to go to where you feel like the safest place is. Yeah, and then, like, with that, too, was when we realized that we needed to have a meeting about the house. And me and Adam and Amber went and talked, and we said, listen, you can't be in the house alone, especially after dark. It's moving stuff in the house. It's moving people. Um, Two, no more horror movies. The rest of the time we live here, nothing negative can be on the TV. And three, never talk about the entity in the house ever. She hears everything. It hears everything. So what happened was if you got to the house first, 
and no one was going to be home for hours, you would sit in your car with a light on doing your homework, even in wintertime. You would just wait for someone to come home. Me and Amber, so we ended up having sort of similar schedules. Lindsay was in art school, so that's sort of very changey a little bit. Like you could have, I have to go do printmaking for four hours tonight or whatever. So me and Amber developed this strategy where we would only watch the most positive television that we could find because, again, at that time, you wouldn't sit there with your laptop and like go on the internet. It was like watch TV or do homework. Um, I was horrible at school, so I never did homework, and she was really good, so she never had any. We would sit there and watch House Hunters. So we would go to HGTV and we would watch House Hunters where they flip the house, like all of these very, and we would sit there and we would just watch these shows for three hours because that was the only way to sort of feel safe in that space was to just maybe bring a little positivity into it. Yeah. And so like if you had a really bad experience in the house, we learned like you would just tell everybody we got to go to the bar tonight and you would go to the bar and then you'd be like, this is what happened to me today. And that's just how things like continue to go. Yeah. I mean, at that point, again, I know I'm also somebody who watches horror movies and says, well, just leave. I'm somebody who watches, you know, different shows and you go, we'll just sell your house. I get it. A hundred percent. If And if I, me sitting here today was in that situation, I might be doing something different. But at that point, all of us were simply in survival mode, which was go to class, get through the next day without seeing something torturous or demonic or having a really bad feeling. And then eventually the lease will be up. But it's sort of like making it to the finish line. It became sort of a spiritual marathon in a sense of like just get through the next day. And we had rituals. Me and Amber had this TV ritual. We had places that you could talk about what was happening and then places you couldn't talk about what was happening. You had sort of ways to navigate it a little bit. And that's just what you did. Yeah. And, you know, people always say, why didn't you leave? Look, Again, in college, you don't have a ton of money. I actually called my parents. They feel bad about it to this day. And they said, honey, we've given you all the money we can. Deal with it. I tried. And I also had a huge fear of whatever was there was going to leave with me. And I just was like, I can't just pick up and go. Like, I just, this is too much. And I can't leave my friends. Like, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, finally, Adam said, it's time for us to talk to my dad. Adam's dad was becoming a deacon in the Russian Orthodox Church, but hadn't become one yet. And I had wanted to wait to talk to his dad as long as possible because I didn't want him to think his, his son's dating a crazy person. But at this point, Adam's experiencing everything. And he is like, if no one's getting back to us, churches and groups and all these paranormal people, we have no other option. We have to talk to my dad. Saying that you grew up in a sort of really religious environment, it can have a negative connotation, and sometimes it should. Like, it's not a great thing. There's some sort of indoctrinations that can happen. I grew up in a very religious household, but it was sort of with an open door. Like, this is just who we are. This is what we believe. But also, like, you don't necessarily have to if you don't want to. So it was more of a, I have a sort of foot out of religion even to this day. It's, I believe in the sort of spiritual side of things. But... Having said that, my dad is very religious, but he is also very open-minded. I know those two things don't necessarily go hand in hand, but that's why when she sort of suggested that, and I'd always thought of it in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, in our religion once a year, a priest will come to your house and you sort of sit down and you have dinner, um, and he does this as a blessing with holy water, blesses the doors in some 
more strict senses, they sort of burn little crosses above doors. It's just, again, to sort of ward off any any bad things. So I knew there was a sort of house blessing ritual, if you want to call it. I did know that there were sort of icons or paintings that ward off bad things or to bring in good things. So I knew all of this, and I also knew that my dad was pretty open-minded. Lindsay was sort of <laughs> at her wit's end. I was sort of at her wit's end. And just to also interject, there were times where we would sort of eject to my apartment. Like we did have this other place. But I just want to say for the record, my apartment was not a pleasant place. It didn't smell very well. I didn't, like I had cups of cigarette water that would spill sometimes. So this isn't somewhere like we would look forward to like, oh, we can go over Adam's studio apartment. No, that was a different sort of hell. So we did go there sometimes, but only in emergency situations. But at this point, you had to figure out like what else could happen at this house to make it a little bit more palatable. So we sat down to talk with Adam's dad. And the first thing he said was, I believe you. And I was just like huge, just sigh of relief. Like, okay. He's like, say no more. I've never heard of anything like this myself, but I believe you. He goes, here's what you guys are going to do. I'm going to give you this. And he gets me this icon and he goes, you're going to hang this either on your door or next to your door, somewhere in your room on your door. Whatever is in your room cannot come in your room anymore. He's like, it's done. Put this somewhere. Okay. Then he gives us this big thing of holy water. And he goes, you're going to go around the house and you're going to say the Lord's prayer and you're going to do crosses of holy water on every surface you can touch in this house. Everything. Now, the reason why Ed couldn't do it himself yet is he hadn't become a deacon yet. And so he wasn't allowed to bless a house yet. And at this point, we are too far in to even wait for help anymore. This is not like we can just sit around and hope someone's going to come at this point that we need this. So he tells us what to do. So we go back and I remember the first thing was hanging up the icon and we hung it up on the inside of my door, not on the door, but right next to where I slept. And that first night... I will never forget this. The entity could not come in the room and was outside the door, scratching the door, knocking on the door, twisting the door handle. Well, the locks would sort of rattle. The lock was rattling. It couldn't come in, but it spent the entire night outside the door, tapping, scratching, moving. I mean, just laying in bed, the two of us going, oh my God, I can't come in, and yet having to lay there and listen to it. I couldn't sleep from the noise of it. And I just remember us both being like, holy, I, holy shit, that worked. Like, it can't come in the room. But also how scary that it's just standing out there, like, all night long. You were a little bit more surprised than I was. Yeah. Only because I had sort of, I had experienced different things with protection and different prayers and, like, seen things with my own eyes. But I was pleasantly surprised that this was, was doing its job for sure. So the other thing we did was we did what his dad said. We took the holy water, we went around the house, every window, mirror, door, wall, doorway. I mean, anything that you could make a sign of the cross on, this house was saturated from top to bottom. Every inch of this place was soaking wet. Everybody's rooms, the basement, everything. We went around saying the Lord's Prayer and thinking good thoughts and all these things. And for like three whole days, if I had to guess, I hate to use the number three here, but for three whole days, the house felt actually great. The atmosphere didn't feel as bad. It didn't feel very spooky. It just didn't feel as negative. I was still hearing the thing outside my door all night, but whatever, that's fine. But overall, the house was like, yeah, this is better. 
And so this one day, Adam's upstairs in my room watching football. Amber was in her bedroom downstairs doing probably homework. And I was on the living room couch watching TV. All of a sudden, the whole house shakes. I'm talking, it felt like a car hit the house. And I remember the whole house kind of like moving and every single painting, photograph, calendar, we're talking tons of stuff. I was an art student, so I had paintings I made for Amber, paintings up in my room. Um, Lane had stuff in her room. Every single object that was on a wall in this house fell off the wall at the exact same moment. Adam comes barreling down the stairs. Amber comes busting out of her room. And all I remember is you looking up at us and saying earthquake. That was one of the first times where I went into like, like, oh, this is a real thing. Like there is an earthquake. Like this is actually in like a natural disaster. That's where I sort of went to first, which was almost sort of a relief that like, oh, this is, uh, we just need to sort of hustle out of here. Cause I remember the pictures completely falling. And that's when I was like, that's what you see on earthquake shows. Like, that's what you see when these when these things are happening. So so he comes down the stairs running. Amber comes out of her room. He says earthquake. We all go running out the front door thinking we've just had an earthquake. And we get on the front lawn and we're all panicked. And I remember like expecting like in movies or even like in real life, like when there's an earthquake, you know, car alarms are going off and everybody's outside their house and all this stuff. We get outside and we look around waiting to see everyone else panicking. And it's a beautiful spring day. Nobody else's house shook. Nothing fell in anyone else's home. There's no dogs barking or crying. There's no car alarms going off. There is nothing. There are three people standing on a front lawn, white as ghosts, looking around for an earthquake and everybody, all the people who felt it, realizing as we stood there that nothing happened outside, that it was the entity in the house. That it, as Amber would say, wanted to let us know, you guys got a little too comfortable. We, we did let off a little bit. Yeah. Like, you do have a sort of sigh of relief. And so it was as if the entity was like, you think I'm that easy? Watch this. And that is so far beyond all comprehension, human comprehension. We see crazy stuff happen in movies. It's really over-exaggerated. But this was real. The whole house shook. Only for a second, long enough for everything to fall off of every wall, fall off of every dresser. Boom! The sound was so loud. And we just continued that way. I mean, people always say, okay, well, how does it end? How does it end? You just live that way. Many nights we had to sleep in my room with the icon and it would be Adam near the wall or Amber near the wall, me in the center and the other one of them on the other side of me. We knew that no one could be alone alone in this space, really. And I remember when it was time for us to move out, we had a big talk because we said we have parents coming and Amber was like, I'm scared for our parents. I don't want them in this house very long. And so we had packed all of our stuff to move out days in advance. We were sleeping on the floor on the mattress. And I remember that we had all the boxes by the back door. We didn't want anybody in here longer than they needed to be. Your dad came. I think my uncle Donnie was there. You were there. Amber's parents were there. And we had everything stacked, ready to go. And parents would come in and we'd be like, just take a box. Don't even come in. Just keep going. Just keep it going. Like, let's keep it moving. And out of nowhere, Adam's dad says, who's doing laundry? And I remember me and Amber freezing and going, what? Who's doing laundry over here? We walk over to the washing machine and I open it and I pull out a handful of clothes and it's nobody's clothes who lives in the house. They're not exactly like, we're not talking like Victorian clothes I and mean, we're not talking modern clothes. They're just old clothes. 
and there's nobody who lives there is close. There's no soap in the house. Nobody else has been in the house. I tried really hard to be like, maybe it was Lane's boyfriend, I think at the time, or maybe it was somebody like that. But like that person hadn't been there for months. Like who's coming in and, and doing these? And there was things? no soap. There was nothing. And Adam's dad's like, wow, that's really weird. Who's doing laundry? And I remember Amber looking at me and you looking at me. We all just kind of met and knew something was getting ready to happen in the house. We don't know what it was doing or why that, other than I always thought because it was, knew it was something loud that would get the attention of parents and other people. And we just said, go, move, leave it. And I remember your dad going, you're just gonna leave laundry in here? And we said, we're leaving the laundry going. No one yeah. touch it, get out of the house. And then we moved out. That was, uh, that was a pretty interesting goodbye for sure. I can't remember if it was just me and Amber or it was me, Amber, and you. We sort of just like, you sort of, like who gets to survey their car accident intact? Like who gets to survey one of the most traumatic events of their entire life? And I think me and Amber were basically standing there. I have never been more relieved in my life than at this moment. And for like a second, you got to feel a little bit like, not aggression, but like, hopefully you can't mess with us anymore. And so there was a little sense of that. But then in the back of your head, you're like, what if, you know, some of this goo or some sort of whatever this is in one of, is in one of these boxes? And then you sort of open it up somewhere else. But it was just a very weird sort of feeling. You were very happy, but you were also sort of timid. So walking away from the situation in the short term and even in the longer term, thinking about what was it? Um, who was it after all those sort of thoughts that you get to reflect on post being away from the situation a little bit. I always took away that it was something bad, right? To me, this was not somebody necessarily who had simply or was simply looking to move on or a little bit angry that you were in their space. That could be it for sure. The vibe for me was this could be somebody who maybe lost their life in this house a long time ago, but they were just the sort of vehicle for something really bad to get inside of them and manipulate things through them. What I saw and what I heard was unlike anything outside of a National Geographic video or movie about lions or something. Like, there's even nothing I've even heard in nature that was like this. I've never had something sort of penetrate me, like, through my body like that. So it's hard for me to imagine that that was just, you know, a ghost or somebody screaming. So I think it was something awful to its core. I don't think that it was after me. I think it most likely wanted to either attach to Lindsay, wanted to affect Lindsay, I think I was sort of, you know, in a drive-by shooting the guy sitting on the couch that just got caught up in the crossfire. I was somebody who was maybe protecting Lindsay, or I was somebody that was actually giving Lindsay a little bit of strength. Like she felt safe when she was with me, so she felt less scared, which would then anger somebody who's trying to, to scare her. I think she was most likely the target. So I don't think that it was something as simple as a spirit from a bygone era. Uh, it could be a spirit, but that was in sort of infected. And then again, I don't think I was necessarily the target. I think it was most likely Lindsay. And then it affects you in a way that you sort of look at things differently, right? So if you were a caveman and you just came to alive in 2023, you'd be freaking out because your former life was much simpler, but now your eyes are sort of open to a much larger world. So you pay attention to things more, 
you don't necessarily shrug things off as easy as you once did. I am still very much a person who is looking for the simplest explanation. And I do believe that sometimes that is the easiest, you know, answer to the question. But it does make you, I guess, pay attention more. You're a better listener to those sorts of experiences. And it sort of also makes you cautious in how much you traffic in those areas, right? Makes you like, just like driving into maybe a bad neighborhood or something, you are cautious when you enter spaces where somebody like a Lindsay or somebody else is telling you that there might be something in the air. You no longer are like, yeah, get out of here. (laughs) You're like, all right, like let's not tempt fate. So it stayed with me in a way that a lot of things have stayed with me as it's sort of an imprint. You know, it's a stain on your clothing that you can wash out. But if you put it under a microscope, there's still a little bit of it always there. Um, And that's what you sort of take away with you. So I've been experiencing seeing, hearing and sensing things all my life, like my whole life. And I have never come across anything like this before or since. Not like this. And, you know, when we hear in shows and in movies, people always want it to be a demon, right? Everyone wants it to be a demon. Demons are so popular right now. And I get why, because it's scary. I am here to tell you that like 99.9% of the time, it is not a demon. It is something, there's a big difference between something that scares you and something that startles you, right? Startling you if things move or things open and close, it only startles you because you can't see what's doing it. And it doesn't always mean what it's trying to do is something negative or scary, right? Half the time I have a feeling that we scare ghosts as much as they scare us. I think we surprise them more than we think. But in this case and in this house, what I can tell you is it was demonic. I can tell you that what was there wanted to hurt people. It changed people's personalities. We've often talked about losing time. People felt like they weren't themselves, that, you know, people exhibited behaviors, even Amber, um, you know, where they weren't themselves. People became really negative. People started having having drinking issues in this house. People, it just, what was there wanted to do nothing but harm. It wanted to scare you, but it wanted to do harm. And I think what was there at the end of the day really wanted me to either take my own life or just make me end up incredibly isolated where everybody left me or I left everybody. And lucky for us, it actually had the opposite effect. And we actually all came together and made it out okay. I think what it wanted to do, it backfired because instead of splitting us up, we got married incredibly young. Um, We've been married, we're gonna be going on 18 years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we got married basically right out of school and we stayed together. And it was really one of those things, like I think for Adam, from that point forward, I don't think you've ever questioned my, we'll call it abilities or gifts. Like, you just know that it's real. There's no doubt. And it's not that you ever questioned me in the house, but but you experiencing what you experienced with me kind of, I think, makes a shift where you just go, yeah, all these things are possible and real. And what Lindsay was feeling or picking up or sensing, these things do happen. And she is kind of tapped in. And I've never felt once since then that when I experience something, you've never dismissed me. I've considered myself one of the most curious human beings alive. So I have never once in my life put up walls to various situations. And just like my dad said, yeah, I believe you. Again, raised very religiously, but with an extreme open mind to 
spirituality and everybody experiences different things and having seen it myself obviously there's no reason to question it i think it made me more protective over Lindsay in a way that was i mean i what like i'm not john constantine i can't you know, fight demons for people but i can give her a space to where she doesn't ever feel sort of isolated with things a little bit so it definitely made me a little bit more protective in a sense but i don't believe there's a reason to ever sort of shut yourself off from an experience that somebody's telling you about again in this situation it was easy for me to believe lindsay but as our relationship has progressed that is certainly a starting point but i think it was probably what was going to happen anyway we're two people who experience life and sometimes see life very differently but the overlap has always been there in terms of like having a conversation about something maybe I don't understand or she doesn't understand. So it was almost sort of like the first chapter in a book that was already written and we sort of had to go through that and now there's plenty of times where I ask her about things, she asks me about things. So it sort of just strengthened maybe a bond that was already going to be there, but in a sense for me I've always just felt a little bit more like like let me go in the room first a little bit. Uh, when you go through something like that and I never thought it was after me so I always thought that like I could necessarily maybe take one for the team in helping her but I think it probably just strengthened what was already going to happen which was just a bond that was forming it made my abilities I think a bit stronger but I don't think you if you are already having abilities I think if you spend almost a year with a demon I just don't think that you don't walk away from that stronger than you were before I'm no longer scared I don't get scared um people are always like aren't you terrified I'm like no I mean once you've survived a year in the life of living with a demon there really isn't much that scares me at all not movies not places and I can really we'll call it distinguish the spirits now there's no question for me when I have a sensation or a feeling I know what a human entity on all levels you know feels like and it makes it a lot easier for me to really be comfortable in an environment where I sense things cuz I can really tell the difference but I always just warn people man be careful don't play with tarot cards or Ouija boards especially if you don't know what you're doing don't go in and try to provoke things you don't know what you're provoking and most of the time like I said 99.9% of the time it's just a human entity and maybe they'll get a little mad at you and maybe like I don't know toss a cup at you or something but on the off chance it's something darker I'm telling you that if you cross paths with it and you mess with it it can ruin your life and it almost ruined mine I'd like to thank Lindsay and Adam for sharing such a personal story with us tonight. Lindsay has now developed her abilities further and has told me that she hopes she can continue to refine them. I know, just from the one investigation that she lent her abilities to us for, she is the real deal. I only wish I'd known her and Adam when they faced this dark presence in Ohio, because I know my team and I would have done what we could have to help. And I hope if any of you listeners out there are ever going through struggles similar to Lindsay, this story helps you as well. But as I always say, if you find yourself stuck or needing help, you know who to call. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website, thenightoutpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Night Owl Podcast, and consider becoming a patron and supporting our show on patreon.com slash the night owl podcast to stay up to date with our show's news and events. Stay restless out there. 
I'd like to thank my investigative team, Alexis, Franklin, for going on these crazy adventures with me. Nicholas Fair for his talented musical contributions to this show. My dad, Sam, for his incredible historical research. Mikey for his assistance editing this particular episode. Sandra for keeping us all on schedule and on budget. My partner, Peyton, for encouraging me every time the workload for the show weighs heavy on my shoulders and assisting on our investigations with photography. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftworks Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftworks Sound. Do you have a song that could use a professional touch to get it across the finish line? Do you wish you could remove the sound of a loud air conditioner or distracting mouth noises from your podcast recording? Whatever your issue, David can repair and enhance your audio and help you achieve rich, full, professional sound at industry standard loudness levels. Quit struggling with audio engineering and get back to creating. To discuss your options, reach out to David at driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T workSound.com and set your creative self free. 